Philemon. Verse 18. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Let's pray. Lord, we ask you now to teach us in your word. God, open up our hearts to receive from you all that you have. And I pray, God, that you would fill me afresh with your spirit, that you would uh, lead and guide me. Lord, put a guard over my mouth, cause me to be used by you in such a way that your word would go forth and bear fruit for your glory. And I pray this in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. Well, some of you probably know this, some of you might not, but the last couple of weeks have been a little rough here. Uh, there's been a lot of uh, struggles. The enemy likes to uh, come in and cause hurt, and um, it's been challenging. It's been challenging. And uh, if you're, you're going, what's this all about? Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Just let it lie. Let that dog lie. And uh, if you are, uh, whether you know that or not, this message still applies to us all because when we get right down to it, grace is the answer for all our struggles. It is the answer for the pain that we have in our lives that others have maybe caused. It is the answer for our own sin issues. And grace is the answer that heals troubled relationships. And you know what? I say this so much, but I'm going to say it again. Our God is so incredible that we're in this book this day. I mean, as I was preparing this week, I was just in worship so many times saying, you know what, God, this is the absolute perfect book to be in at this time in this church's history, especially in the last few weeks. And I'm going, God, thank you uh, that you are so great and so good because Philemon is about reconciliation and unity in the body of Christ. That's what it's about. It's about God doing a mighty work. And grace is what smooths friction between brothers and sisters. Grace cleanses bitterness away. Grace is what enables forgiveness. And grace heals the pain of those who have been offended. And it doesn't matter which side you're on or whatever. None of that makes any difference. Grace is the answer to the struggles, and the hurts that we might have. Now when we get to this book, uh, Philemon, it is the shortest of Paul's 13 letters. And it is one of the four prison epistles. Colossians, Ephesians, and Philippians are the other three. This book was probably written around 61 to 63 A.D. And here's the outline. It's only got a few verses, so... I did my best with an outline here. <laughs> Verses 1 through 3, a salutation. Uh, 4 through 7, thanksgiving and prayer. 8 through 21, the plea for Onesimus. Uh, an appeal, not a command. Paul's request. Paul's confidence in Philemon. And then finally, 22 to 25, concluding remarks. Here's the history. Here's what happened, the background. Onesimus was a slave to a guy named Philemon. 
Uh, Philemon was one of the leaders of the church in Colossae. And um, what it appears is that somehow Onesimus stole from him, took something from him, and ran away. Ran away 1,200 miles. Now, he didn't have a car, so it took a lot of effort to go 1,200 miles. And he ended up in Rome, where we don't know if he sought out Paul or what happened. Paul, at this time, was in prison. And so I have a tendency to believe he sought out Paul. Um, and uh, the thing was, is I didn't know this until this week, that Roman uh, law had a provision that if a slave ran away, that if that slave would go to a friend of their master, they could ask that friend to be kind of like their uh, go-between, their mediator. And so then that, that friend of the master would go and kind of try to soothe things over between the slave and the master. So that's not what was going on. But I, I wonder if that played a part in Onesimus's running to Paul because Paul was uh, in prison. And again, his first imprisonment was different than his second one. His first one was more of a house arrest, but still uh, Onesimus shows up there and Paul preaches the gospel to him and Onesimus gets saved. He is now a brother in Christ. And what Paul does then is he sends Onesimus back with this letter and possibly the letter to the Colossians, but he sends him back with this uh, letter that we read today to go back to Philemon. And uh, in that letter, he says, uh, he pleads to his brother in the Lord, Philemon, to forgive Onesimus, his slave, and to embrace Onesimus as a brother in the Lord. That's what this letter that's the, the kind of the context of this letter. That's why when you read what it says, there's little hints throughout this letter that um, show us what happened. And then what Paul does in the letter is he offers to pay restitution to Philemon if Onesimus owes him anything. He puts a little squeeze on him. He says, hey, you know, you kind of owe me a favor here, but I'm not going to demand this. I like what, I like what uh, Izzy, Izzy preached uh, at the youth group about this a couple weeks ago. And he said, Philemon could be two sentences. He said, basically, hi, this is Paul. I led you to the Lord, and by the authority of me as an apostle, uh, I want you to just let Onesimus stay with me. The end. <laughs> it could have been like that, but it wasn't. And as you read through the letter, you can see why. Um, you know, what we, uh, history is not clear on how Philemon responded to this letter. We don't know. We don't know what he did. But there is something interesting in the early church writings, in that uh, years later, the early church father, Ignatius, referred to the bishop of Ephesus, who was named Onesimus. And... He even used the play on words that Paul used in verse 11 here in Philemon in that letter about this bishop uh, named Onesimus in Ephesus. So you just you don't know. Did he become a church leader, this guy, because of the grace of God that was extended to him? We don't know for sure, but it's an, an interesting little side story. Now, uh, before I get to the main point, I've got to get to a side point. 
I, I just felt like we needed to address this, is that Paul and the early church never said that converts who were masters of slaves needed to give up their slaves. As a matter of fact, down south, one of the arguments was in the Bible, it doesn't say that you shouldn't have slaves. And they were arguing that. And um, as a matter of fact, if you read the different uh, writings of Paul when it comes to slaves and masters, he does tell his, the slaves to submit to the masters, masters be kind, etc., etc. But we need to understand some of the things that, in, that we're talking about because we think of slavery as here in America and what it was like. And um, that's not what it was back then. As a matter of fact, slavery was very common at that time. Probably one in every two people was a slave in that, using that terminology, but it was a voluntary slavery. They signed up for it uh, in order to pay a debt usually is what happened. They owed some money. They would say, okay, I'll work it off. How does that work for you? And um, most of the slaves were treated pretty well. They were businessmen. They had skills, craftsmen. And so that's kind of the picture. We have to take our Western mindset and shift that and, and throw that away and understand that this was different back then and how Paul was addressing these issues. Um, but what we do have to understand is this, that in Philemon, the seeds were sown for the ultimate destruction of all slavery. In that little book that you just read, it's the foundation that God used to destroy so much of slavery around the world. And the reason being is, is this, that the gospel transforms the servant-master relationship. It changes things. And it changes it from the inside out. Paul doesn't address the institution of slavery. He addresses the heart of slavery. And that's what we see in this small book as God is starting to work things in the heart of Philemon and use this small book throughout history to change the hearts of people. Because slavery can't exist in the presence of true Christian love. That's what Paul is saying here. Take a look at God's Word. Philemon verses 10 and 11 and 15 and 16. I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus. So he's saying, he is, I led him to the Lord. And he uses similar terms to talk about Philemon. Whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. That was the, the, the sentence that kind of was used by Ignatius. And then in verse 15, For this perhaps is why he, ha he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me. Boy, Paul's putting the heat on, isn't he? But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? And then we see in Galatians 3.38, there is neither Greek nor Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. At the cross, the ground is level, is what Paul is saying. 
said there's not Jew, Gentile, free, slave, male, female. We're all one. We need to approach it like that. And that's the foundation that he's laying here. Paul is saying that uh, changed hearts, it starts with the heart, changed hearts produce changed behavior. Okay? So it starts with the heart, then it moves to our behavior, and changed behavior obviously then eventually affects a social change. In other words, you can't treat someone as a slave during the week and as your brother and sister on Sunday. It just just didn't work out right. And that was the destruction of slavery. You see so many Christians, William Wilberforce, stop uh, changing and, and coming against slavery uh, when he was a, a slave owner because the Spirit of God convicted him. This is my brother in Christ. I can't treat him like this. And so Paul was laying the foundation here. As a matter of fact, in literature, second century literature and afterwards, we find that many masters, upon receiving the gift of salvation, freed their slaves. That's what Paul was doing here. That's what God was doing. He was correcting a societal issue that was not, uh, didn't bring glory to God. And what happened was he did it from the inside out. He said, I'm gonna, the, the key is changing people. And maybe that's something we need to learn today. I think so many Christians uh, want to approach societal change by we've got to change the law, we've got to change this. The issue is man's heart. That's the issue. And what happens is we've got to pray that God would change the hearts of men, that they would receive the gift of salvation, that they would walk by God's grace towards one another, that what would happen is some of these societal issues God would change just as He did slavery from the inside out by changing the hearts of men. And in doing so, their behavior changes and then society will change. But that's just a little side note because Philemon is not about really the abolition of slavery But what Philemon is really about is the reconciliation and unity among the body of Christ. That's what it's really about. That's the picture that we see here in this little book. Paul had a request, and his request was that uh, Philemon would forgive someone who was unworthy of the forgiveness that Paul was asking for, Onesimus. And he asked Philemon to accept Onesimus as a brother in Christ, not as a master and a slave, but as a brother in Christ. And then Paul says this. Paul says, And if Onesimus owes any debt to you, I'll pay it. Take a look, God's Word. Philemon 17 through 20. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. Paul said, treat him just exactly like you would me. Now remember, Paul was the one who led Philemon to the Lord. So there was a high value for Paul in Philemon's heart. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. To say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Gee, Paul, come on. 
Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. When you look at this, you see that Paul doesn't minimize Onesimus' sin. He doesn't say it didn't happen or just relax, let it go. He doesn't minimize Onesimus' sin. He doesn't ignore it. What Onesimus did was wrong. He stole from him probably. He ran away. That was illegal. What he did was wrong. And I want to say that if you're hurting because of something someone said or did in the last few weeks, I want you to know that your offense and your hurt is real. You probably really did hear what was said correctly, and it hurt you. Uh, It's not to minimize it. It's not to wash it away and just say, let it go, forget it. Act like it didn't happen. It did. And we need to address that because we see that here. We also see that there isn't any cheap grace here either. What I mean by that is that a sacrifice was required by someone. A sacrifice was required by someone. Onesimus had stolen and had run away. And Paul said, yep, that's what happened. And if he owes you a debt, then I'll pay it. I'm not going to just, there's no cheap grace here. Somebody has to pay. Somebody has to sacrifice. And we see that in the cross, don't we? We see that in the cross. And usually I have to say this, this is a principle of forgiveness and reconciliation, is that forgiveness and reconciliation usually begin with the injured person. The person who is hurt. The one who is offended. It starts with them, not the offender. There's got to be a heart to forgive those who have hurt us. And it starts with the person who was hurt. That's really hard stuff. That's hard to hear. But that's what Paul is laying out. You see, forgiveness and reconciliation are based on God's love and forgiveness. That's what it's based on. Christ's love and forgiveness for us. And in this case, it is based on God's love and forgiveness to unworthy Philemon. Philemon didn't deserve God's grace and mercy and forgiveness. And Philemon was called by Paul to show that same love and forgiveness that he had received from the Lord Jesus Christ to an unworthy Onesimus. The forgiveness you've received, extend to Onesimus and receive him as a brother. Regardless of what has happened, receive him as a brother. Take a look at God's Word. Luke chapter 6 35 through 36. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. 
In Luke chapter 7, 47, Therefore I tell you, her sins which are many are forgiven. For she owed much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. The point wasn't that somebody is forgiven little here. It's that how we view that. And if you think it's not that big of a deal what God has forgiven me of, then you will love little. But when you understand the volume of the debt that you owe to Christ, then you will love greatly. And then in Colossians 3, 12 through 13, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And then in Ephesians 4, 31 through 32, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So Philemon is just expressing in a practical way a picture of all these truths in God's Word, all of them. Forgive as you've been forgiven. That's exactly what Paul said to Philemon. Remember the grace of God towards you when you're looking at dealing with your runaway slave who has offended and hurt you, Onesimus. We can't do that in our own strength. We can't do that. It is almost impossible to try to deal with that in our own flesh. And that's why we can put full confidence in the fact that the Holy Spirit dwells within us. And He can empower us to obey this command to forgive anyone of anything. And that's why I say it really doesn't go back to maybe issues that happened the last couple of weeks. It goes farther back than that. It goes all the way back in our own lives. It's so easy to remember when someone has hurt us. When someone has done something that has uh, cut you deeply and we keep coming back to it. You know, it's a difference between remembering it with vitriol and just remembering and praying that God's grace would be there and, and God would bless them. So this message isn't just for some of us in the last few weeks, it's for all of us. Because there's always people that have hurt us, people that have done us wrong throughout our lives. And this is a command to forgive. That's a difficult one, but it is a command. And if we want to be like Jesus, then that's what we need to do, regardless of what has happened. We need to trust the Lord that He is sovereign over all things. And that He is carrying out His purposes in all things, even in the turmoil of human events. I was talking to someone, and and we don't, uh, obviously God is not the author of any sin, but uh, so many times I've said uh, my life has been, when I was a young man growing up, uh, we were very poor. My dad and I did not like each other at all. And uh, there were a lot of uh, things that happened there that were um, 
for a long time I carried a lot of bitterness. And uh, I remember I became a Christian and, and somebody said to me, you know you've got to forgive your dad. And I said, I can't forgive my dad. And they said, well, pray that you'll want to. And I did. And I can say right now I forgive my dad. I still remember those things, but they, they don't hold any bitterness or anger. And I realized something. God is sovereign, even over the hard things, the turmoil in life. And I am who I am today because of those things. And I have a heart that I have today because of those things. I'm naturally attracted to certain types of people because they remind me of me. And so even the difficult things that happen in our lives, God is sovereign and He is using them to hammer us out, to make us into the image of Christ. And He is using those things to lay a foundation that He can use as a springboard to minister to others down the road. And that's what we see. That's what we see in this, is that even in turmoil we can trust God is sovereign and He is working out His purposes. And I have come to so many times in my life saying, God, I don't get it, but my ways are not your ways. I, I, that's okay. I don't have to understand. He's God, I'm not. But I trust that God is working things. So through the power of the Holy Spirit, ask the Lord to help you see the size of your debt that Jesus paid. And to see the depth of His love. I love this quote from Martin Luther. He said this, All of us were God's Onesimus. We were slaves, we were debtors, we were sinners. We merited nothing. On our own we stand naked and wretched before a God who is righteous and holy. Yet Jesus, the Lord Jesus says to the Father, If this one has done anything wrong or owes you anything, charge it to my account. I will pay it. You see, Philemon is a picture of the gospel. Paul is representing Christ. If there's any debt, I'll pay it. And that's exactly what Jesus did on the cross for all of us that are believers. And our debt was huge. Huge. And that's why I think it's so important that we ask God to show us to understand the, the, the great debt that we owed in order to understand that as that grace was extended to us, then no matter who or what has been done to us to hurt us in the past, it's minimal compared to that debt that we owed Christ. And he says, hey, you know what? You've been forgiven. You were unworthy. Forgive those who have hurt you. I would say this. Maybe, just maybe, and, I, and this isn't always the truth. It's probably seldom the truth. But I think sometimes people struggle with physical or emotional issues because of bitterness in their lives. They refuse to forgive. They want to just hold on to it. And it just eats them alive. I have a friend of mine years ago who told me, he said, my mom has been to the doctor so many times I can't count and they can't find anything wrong with her. And he looked me dead in the eyes and he says, I know why she's got all these ailments. He said, years ago when my dad left her and had divorced her, she never forgave him. And it's bitterness that is eating her up inside. Bitterness is as rottenness to the bones is what Scripture says. 
So if you're struggling, maybe, you know, I'm not saying it is, but maybe check that out. Maybe that's part of it. You see, we're called to forgive by God's word. But genuine reconciliation only occurs when the offender truly repents. Take a look at God's word. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. And in Hebrews 12, 5 through 6, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be wary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. You see, we're called to forgive every time, and we're called to try to build that relationship back up, but it won't happen until that offender truly repents. And I say truly because I think so many times it's easy to say, well, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. And you, you know, you've, you've been approached in situations like that, and you go, yeah, they're not really. They're just saying that. So true repentance needs to happen to really bring reconciliation to the relationship. But that's not on you. That's on them. And I would say this, that, and this has been the case in my own life, that even when you repent, you still end up reaping what you've sown. There's still consequences. That's the truth of God's Word. You know, it's, it's, it's a loss of, of finances maybe because it costs you. It could be a loss of fellowship. You know, you uh, offended them, you hurt them, and so now trust has been broken, and so that fellowship isn't the way it used to be. And it takes time to build back trust. It doesn't happen overnight. It depends on the depth of the hurt. So we have to understand that that's true as well, that sometimes it just takes a while before hearts heal, before trust can be established. And so there is that sense of, of reaping what has been sown. But I want to say this, if you're the person who is offended or hurt, be very careful. This is a warning. Don't delight when the person who hurt you is reaping what they've sown or is disciplined by God. Don't do that. That doesn't honor the Lord. It's to desire good for them. It's to desire that that relationship is restored, that they would uh, be blessed by the Lord. It's that kind of a desire, not lay it to him, Lord, because if that's your heart, then you need to repent. And you need to ask God to forgive you and change your heart. That there would be a peace there and a resting in it all. You see, the grace of Jesus restores and transforms relationships. That's what it does. Jesus is the one who does it. Grace heals. That's what it says. That the grace of Jesus restores and transforms relationships. It creates love and brotherhood and unity that brings our Heavenly Father praise and glory. That's what it does. It brings God glory. When people who are different live together, brothers and sisters like this mess in this church, we're so different, yet we love one another. How can they be together? And especially now when there's been some struggles in the last few weeks. How can they love one another? Because of the grace of God. 
And that brings God glory. It brings Him honor. You see, be an agent of reconciliation to those who have wronged you. Not every relationship will work out. It just won't. Here's God's Word again. Romans 12, 18-21. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not become overcome. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. There's the command. You must forgive. Work on reconciliation. It's not always going to be possible, but work for it. That's why the key to Philemon and the heart of the gospel is this. The grace of vertical reconciliation. Jesus providing peace with God, the Father. The grace of vertical reconciliation is the foundation of and the hope for horizontal reconciliation. It's the hope and it's the foundation for peace and unity among the body of Christ, even when we disagree, even when we're struggling. And that is a testimony to the Lord Jesus Christ and brings Him honor and glory. So now I have this wonderful exercise for all of us. We get to fill in the blank here in this next one. Based on your love and forgiveness to unworthy me, I ask you, Father, to help me show that same love and forgiveness towards fill in the blank and receive them as my brother or sister in Christ. So we're going to take an opportunity now to allow the Holy Spirit to do His work this morning. If there's anything, it could be something a long time ago. It could be something more recent. But to lay that before the Lord. And then I'll close in prayer. So let's just give it a minute or so. And as the Holy Spirit leads you, as we used to say, let's let God do business with us. Father, make us one even as you and Jesus are one. Magnify your majesty by breaking demonic walls that divide your people. Heal wounds. Let forgiveness be given. Let the Holy Spirit bring unity and peace. Lord, let your 
Let our love for one another be a sign and a wonder to the world around us. I ask that your glory would radiate through the beautiful unity of your body at LEFC as we work together, eat together, pray together, honor, love, and serve one another. Do this in the precious and glorious name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's stand and continue to worship.